and uh, he is here in our midst this morning. It's a prophetic voice. So I want you to open your heart. Open your heart as he brings the word. He's here with his wife, Kathy. And um, yeah, you will hear from them this morning and in the evening. Hallelujah. You like that? Yeah. So why don't we receive Dr. Don Norai? Come on. Give him a South African. Every nation, welcome. which is synonymous with the term inner governance. The kingdom comes when God governs the inner man. And the inner man is governed when we do what? Anybody remember? Die. (laughs) I keep saying, Lord, I want to get away from this. I want, there's got to be something else to talk about besides dying. And the Lord keeps telling me, it is only in death that resurrection life flourishes. So the key is to die. The key is not in government. The key, you know, America is going through a very difficult election cycle at the moment. The key is not is who rules the White House. The key is who rules the heart. I cannot pray for the kingdom to come to America if I am not allowing the kingdom to come in me. Because I am the very embodiment of the kingdom of God on earth. The scripture says that Jesus is the exact representation of his glory. And if he is in us, guess who else needs to be the exact representation of his glory? I say to the Lord again and again, Lord, teach me, show me. Show me where I need to repent. Show me where I I need to relinquish control because I do not want to give a false representation of who my king is. See, in, in... In the outer court, we read the Bible, okay? In the holy place, we look at the Bible, and we understand that when I read the Bible, the Bible is a window through which I see eternity. But in the most holy place, I am the window through which the world sees eternity. So my responsibility is to relinquish control. It is to surrender so that he can live his mighty life through me. I 
I'll do this because it's what I have to do, but it's not what I want to take my 45 minutes doing this morning. I'm going to talk about the voice this evening. I'm going to talk about the God Watchers this morning. The God Watchers and the voice, the two books are so intertwined, I'm going to be flipping back and forth because it's hard to talk about one without the other. My favorite book is this allegory called Romancing the Divine. It is a very deep allegorical view of relationship with your, with your king. And it has a surprise ending. I wrote the book not knowing where it was going. When I wrote this book, I cheated. Can I tell you the truth? I cheated. I didn't write it. I saw a movie in my spirit. And I wrote as quickly as I could the movie I was watching. And it was exciting and it was exhilarating. And sometimes I had to say, can you slow this down a little bit while I hunt and peck and get this typed out as quickly as possible? And I'm, I'm, I'm watching this movie and typing. And I'm saying, Lord, where is this going to go? Where is this going to go? How is this going to end? And when it ended, I cried. I said, of course. How could it end any other way? I'm doing a seminar this coming week. We're videotaping it for a special e-course uh, on manifest presence. So that will be in Potch. And of course, you heard me talk about the forgotten mountain, the inner governance of the spirit, you know, the mountain of the house of the Lord, the chief of the mountain. This one is a pretty cool book. If anybody feels called, anybody feels like God has something mighty for them, this book, if you have a destiny on your life, which you do, it is a supernatural destiny. If you have a call on your life, it is a supernatural call. This is a guidebook that using our own journey and first getting a vision for destiny image and then what it took to bring it to pass. Most think if God calls you to something, it's going to be the most awesome thing since sliced bread, which it is. But it, it, we also think it means everybody is going to shake your hand, throw money at you, open every door, and say, do the will of God. That is not what happens. In fact, the opposite is what happens. Lord, I thought this was supernatural destiny. Well, Don, it is. And that's why it's supernatural, because nobody else sees it. If you will have the courage to keep following what nobody else sees, eventually, sometime, some will see it. And here's the key. The kingdom will come in you, and some will hear the voice of the Lord. Some will hear the sound. Some will see what he is doing. Some must enter. Some must experience it. Some must be the exact representation of his glory. Some must respond. Might as well be you. Might as well be me. So that when the world sees the risen Christ, he sees him in us. Everybody's waiting for Jesus to appear in the clouds. The news is he's got to appear in us long before he's going to appear in the clouds. And when he appears in you... 
people are going to be so transfixed at his glory and at his compassion and at his love, they're not going to be looking to the clouds because they see him and find him in their own hearts. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are moving from a sight-driven Christian mentality to a spirit-driven living, living mentality. The Christ we serve is not out there somewhere. He is within. The glory of God is not something I look for. The glory of God is something that comes out of you. If you want to go to a glory meeting, go into your closet and shut the door. And the glory of God will come out from you. When you understand this, you will not be shaken. When you understand this, you will be able to withstand anything that the devil, the world, or the flesh throws at you. And I want you to know, these are the overcomers that are going to display the might of his love through the nations. The signs and wonders that I am looking for is the wonder of his love, the wonder of compassion, the wonder of forgiveness when no one should forgive, the miracle of reconciliation when there's no earthly reason for reconciliation except God has broken my heart. These are the signs and wonders that will change the world. Everybody's looking for external signs and wonders. You know, the miracles of the wilderness were in the wilderness. And no matter how long they followed the, 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 the signs and the wonders, they, they, they just walked in circles. Because those signs and wonders were never intended to bring them into their destiny. They did not have the capacity to bring them into their destiny. The sign and the wonder that brought them to their destiny was what? Death. They died to themselves. They discovered that the wilderness was not a purgatory. Pentecostals, you know, they, they jump on the Catholics for believing in purgatory, but most Pentecostals do too. I'm just in the wilderness, and someday I get cleaned up enough, I'll be okay to move into Canaan. Amen. I'll experience the promised land as soon as I die enough. You know what? That's a non-existent purgatorial thought. Because the wilderness is not a place of transformation, it's a place of decision. Because the children of Israel did not move into Canaan when they were pure. They moved into Canaan when they made the decision that they were going to cross the river. And then once they crossed the river, life began to change. Now, why is this even important? You're supposed to be talking about the God watchers. Why are we watching God? What do we want to see? What are we even looking for if we're God watchers? What do we want him to say to us? What do we want to see? Do we want a vision of our own excellence? Do we want a vision of the ministry he has for us? Do we seek him because we're leading Bible study this week? And so we seek him for a Bible study? Do we read the Bible to learn something to share at a meeting? What is it that, what are we looking for? 
As long as there are adverse motivations within our hearts, we will never look for him because of him. We will always look, seek him for something that we need or we want. I need, I need, gimme, 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 I need. The people of the kingdom are not I need, I need, it's I give, I give, I give. Here am I, use me, send me, take me. Hmm, sounds strangely like the scripture, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and everything you need will be taken care of. See, Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. I don't do anything else. I just do what I see my Father in heaven doing. But what if what I see is contrary to what I want? What if what I see is contrary to what I, what I think I want to do, or I want to be? What if what I see is me giving something I don't want to give? Or surrendering something I don't want to surrender? What do we do? We understand that to accurately and adequately see, to adequately and accurately search him out for his sake, we have to understand that we seek him so that we can do his will, not ours. How many people seek God secretly wanting affirmation for who they are and what they're doing rather than seeking him for what he would have us do? So as we seek him, as we, as we search for him, we want, to, we want to clear our hearts. We want to be in the place, I think I used this phrase the last time I was here, I want to live in broken repentance. I want to live in an attitude of I'm 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 dying. I'm 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 not I'm I'm just not going to make excuses for who I am and what I do. H here's what happens. And I'll make my own confession because I'm sure none of you have this. There's this nagging weakness, a nagging sin, and you keep finding yourself falling into it over and over and over again. Like I said, I'm sure you guys don't have this problem. Just bear with me and pray for me. So I, I begin to understand why the scripture says even 70 times 70, forgive your brother. Okay, so I go to the Lord, Lord, forgive. Lord forgive, me, Lord, forgive 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 me. But at some point, I reach the end of my humility, and I find myself knocking against the wall of my pride. That's where I have to decide. Will I die, or will I search the scriptures to create a doctrine that makes it okay to do what I know is wrong? See, that's what I call a doctrine of the wilderness. There are things we do to make it okay to fall short of the glory of God. But at the end of the day, it's never okay to fall short of the glory of God. Paul said, be careful that none of you fall short of the glory of God. 
See, there, uh, there is a greater than Solomon at work here. There is a greater than anything we can work up. There's a greater than anything we can invent or, or, or discover or create within ourselves. And that is the ability to no matter how bad it looks, no matter how many times I have to repent, I still repent. It's broken repentance. My head is on a vertical swivel. Less, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I screwed up. Forgive me. Yes, Lord. I know it's 27,981. Oh, 82? I'm sorry, I lost count. <laughs> now, that in no, by no means justifies my sin. But it keeps me humble as long as I can continuously, daily, moment by moment, live in that attitude of broken repentance. The power and the work of the Holy Spirit can be doing what needs to be done inside so that the king might reign. So that when I'm watching God, I'm not watching God to impress you. I'm watching God because I need to know what is the next sacrifice I need to make for the purpose of the kingdom. Does this make sense to you? These are God watchers. They watch God for one reason. They want to know what he's up to so they can do the same thing. Jesus said, I don't do anything that I don't see my Father in heaven doing. How many of you know that Jesus had the power? He could do anything he wanted, but he didn't. He only did what he saw his Father in heaven doing. And in, in so doing, he was able to bring salvation to the nations. Now, when Jesus entered his public ministry, how long was he in public ministry? Three years. And what happened after three years? He was crucified. Here's what I have been challenged with. But before I say this, promise you're not going to throw nothing at me. Okay? Unless it's an iPhone 7. You can throw an iPhone 7 at me. That'd be fine. Okay? Geez, I forgot. I'm going to have to explain. <laughs> I have to tell you something that I haven't told many people. Say, Lord, when am I going to come in to the precise thing you want me to do? Ah, be careful. You're shaking your head yes. You're following me down that road that you might not want to be following me down. When am I going to do exactly what you want me to do? When am I going to walk in instant, absolute obedience to your will? And the Lord said, are you sure that's what you want? And I said, absolutely. Sounds like the spiritual thing to say. <laughs> right? In an instant of time, I saw Jesus walking in absolute obedience for three years, and his reward was the cross. His reward was the cross. But of course, as we all know, the cross was the prelude to resurrection. But the cross was before that. We think the world is going to take off their jackets and lay them on the floor for us. There's going to be people waving palm branches, all kinds of excitement. 
the great and powerful Oz, I mean the great and powerful man of God has come. Next thing you know, you're on your back with your arms stretched out. Do you understand what I'm saying? The most exciting, invigorating, life-transforming decision you can make is that death cannot hold me down. Death has no hold over me. Death cannot control me. So I am free to die every day. I am free to repent every day so that my heart is in the place that when he speaks, I can do what he says, not to add to my own resume of awesome things, because I'll tell you what, when you do what God wants you to do, nobody sees it as a resume of awesome things. Because it normally goes against the religious tide. It goes against the political tide. It goes against the, the, the fleshy framework of religion. So that the purposes and the plan of God can be fulfilled. Now, now I'll start. <laughs> Jesus said, what shall I compare this generation? To what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to the other children. We played the flute to you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man, a drunkard, and a friend of tax gatherers and sinners, and yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. It's Matthew eleven sixteen and on. I have discovered that it doesn't matter what I say, doesn't matter how long I worship. Doesn't matter how many hours I speak in tongues. If my ears are closed and our, my eyes are closed, people can play a dance, I won't hear it. They can play a dirge and I won't mourn because I can't hear it. The secret to hearing the voice of God telling you the kinds of things that will transform the nation is your willingness to allow him to tell you the things that need to be transformed within you. Last night we were uh, in the hotel room and I had this little light on by the bed and I thought, well, I'm going to plug in my phone and let that charge up. There's a little switch that shuts I thought shut the light off, but it shut everything off. So I turned it back on, the light came on, and the, the phone came on, and there was no light switch in the lamp. So I said, well, this is a conundrum. I want to charge the phone, but I can't because they're both on at the same time. So how I solve the problem isn't the issue. The issue is, what happened? That is the same thing. We shut off our ears to the voice of God 
because we don't want to hear what he's saying about how we need to change. And so we also, th that same switch shuts off the voice of God when he tries to tell us the great and mighty things we want to hear. So it's a catch-22. What do we do? Well, if we understand surrender, and if we understand that to die is to truly live, and if we understand that we want to be the exact representation of his glory, we'll keep the volume up. And when he says something to us that needs to change, we are willing to confess it. We are willing to say, yes, Lord, it is I in the need of prayer. It is not my wife's fault. It is not my kid, kid's fault. It, you know, stop kicking the dog. It's not the dog's fault. And as much as all of us want to play, would like to blame our respective governments, it's not the government. It is us that is in the need of prayer. See, you can never expect a government to do what is your commission to do. The big problem in the United States is the Christians are divided. Who will give us the most stuff? Who will take care of what needs to be done? Both candidates will fail because neither candidate can give what God intends the church to give. The candidate cannot be what you and I are supposed to be. It is not their job, it's my job. So at the end of the day, it is my surrender to him that transforms me into the image and likeness of God so that his will can be accomplished in the earth. And guess, guess which earth needs to be done first? This earth. You know, we like this song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Did you ever hear that song? Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. I was in the church and the people were there. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. And, and it's just words. You know, so whenever I got up to speak, I said, I got a different way to sing this song. So I sang, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill this atmosphere. See, when that happens, the glory of God flows through me. I won't have to go find glory in the meeting because it rolls out of me. And false humility says, oh, that can't be, that's not me. That's just by, no. When you've been broken, when you have had to say, Jesus, forgive me, 27,682 times, and the glory of God still comes forth from you, it is not pride. Because you understand that apart from his mercy, with, apart from his compassion, absolutely nothing can happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? The anticipation that I feel for you as I hear you worship, as I hear your voices and hear the sincerity and, and, and the longing in your hearts is that the hope of this nation is not in religion. It's not even in Christianity. The hope of the nation is Christ in you. 
or the scripture says, Christ in me is the hope of glory. Whose hope? And whose glory? The hope of this nation is the glory of God in you and through you. And so there is a brokenness that begins to permeate your life. And you begin to esteem everybody greater than yourself. You literally find yourself a servant to all. I, uh, Kathy and I just did a, a, a conference in, in New York State. And uh, the whole conference was in the church. And there's a kitchen there. And there, they fix food for all the meals so nobody has to leave. And, and the cooks are always stuck in the kitchen so they don't get to be in the meetings. So every time the meeting is over, I'm back in the kitchen talking to them, laughing with them, telling them what I'm talking about, just having a good time with them so they don't feel left out. You know, and the pastor says, come, come sit in the lounge and rest. Come. No, this is not the time for me to rest. You know, there's nine women back here who are missing something. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So we're, I'm back there talking, and inadvertently, this trash bag rips open. And there's trash and gunk and glump and sludge and just pours out all over the floor. And these ladies are back there working and stuff. Nobody noticed it, so I didn't even think twice about it. I went and got this stuff and started cleaning it up while we're talking. Finally, they turned around and saw me do it, and they said, What are you doing? This is not your job. This is, no, no, not the man of God. And I said, first of all, don't call me a man of God. <laughs> Only I know what I go through every day. <laughs> is that all right? I know. I, I'm, I, I'm a son. I'm the son. Of, I'm a son of God. That's who I am. And they said, but you're, but you're clean. And, and so anyway, after all that got taken care of and it's time for the next meeting, I was walking out of the kitchen and some lady said, I don't care what I'm assigned to tonight. I'm going to hear that man talk. See, it was in the physical act. It was watching the kingdom in me demonstrated that captures somebody's attention. So that, then there's this other song that, 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 that has been popularized. I don't know if you've heard it. One of the lines are, help me to love the unlovable. Help me to love the unlovable. And hopefully, thank God I don't know any more of the words or you <laughs> have to suffer through me singing this song. But it's a very popular worship song, Help Me to Love the Unlovable. First time I sang that song, I was appalled. You understand where I'm going? Help me to love, what am I? What am I apart from Christ? What kind of arrogance? And believers by the millions are singing that song. Help me to love the unlovable. <laughs> oh, my God. In kingdom churches. By the way, a kingdom church isn't kingdom because they call it kingdom. Kingdom church is kingdom because the king is reigning in the hearts of the people. Does that make sense to you? Should I go back to the text? Your pastor told me I had till 2 o'clock. <laughs> I'm lying. 
So we're searching for the Christ. We worship the Christ. We pray for King Jesus. Uh, we pray to King Jesus, but where is he? If we're watching God, where is he? Do we pray to the king in heaven? Do we pray to the king in the Bible? Do we pray to the king in church? Where is the king? What, where, where are we going to watch? We're God watchers, so where is the king? What do we watch? He is within. And the more we allow him to reign, the more clearly we see the king. The more we surrender our less than godly things that nobody knows about, the more we surrender those to him, the more clearly we see him. See, I took the bracelet off a long time ago. What would Jesus do? I took that bracelet off a long time ago because I don't want to look and see what Jesus would do and then figure out what to do. I want to surrender so that Jesus can do whatever he wants through me. See, my life is, I have no intention of being Christ-centered. The last thing I want to do is to be Christ-centered. I want to be Christ-yielded. I, I want to be Christ-broken. So that I don't figure out what he wants to do and do it. Instead, I want to die so he can do it himself through me. See, what most people don't understand and think it is highly sacrilegious to say is that we are possessed by a multi-dimensional entity. Who has a mind of his own, a will of his own, desires of his own. That's who possesses us. Our king is a multi-dimensional spirit who exists equally in every dimension, who understands equally in every dimension, who has complete wisdom and knowledge in every dimension. That's who possesses me. So, when the scripture almost nonchalantly says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. We say, amen, that's right. But when you understand who this Christ is, a multidimensional spiritual being who transcends every dimension, who has all the wisdom and knowledge of every dimension, and that Christ dwells in you, oh my goodness, think about what's inside of you. And then think how we limit ourselves to what this three pounds of gray matter can understand. That's the greatness of who dwells within us. And he says, if you would just yield, if you would just give yourself to me, you would see things that no other man has ever seen. And the, the only way new things get done is if new things are seen. You can't say the same things and expect new things to happen. You can't live the same way and expect new changes to happen. It doesn't happen that way. God, give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see what the Spirit of the Lord has on his heart. 
because it's going to be completely different to what this old three-pound piece of gray matter can ever figure out. See, it's more than revelation. It is the revelation that takes root in me. Until it becomes, until it becomes flesh and blood in me, it's just revelation. But once it becomes flesh and blood, that, you know, that's why the Gospel of John opens with the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God, and apart from him, there wasn't anything made that was made. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. Then down a few more verses it says, and the word, what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is the word becoming flesh in you and I. The kingdom is the word becoming flesh. And, and the word that changes the world is the love of God. Jesus came with a message of loving God, not raising people from the dead. He healed everyone, but that wasn't his message. The healing, the signs and wonders were to get the people's attention. If we in church need signs and wonders to be affirmed in God, we are in big trouble. Paul says, his spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am his son. There is something amazingly supernatural that happens within us. When we die to ourselves, when we surrender to him, his spirit and my spirit, watch me now, his spirit and my spirit become one. And I know I am his son. We have five sons. Sometimes the worst days the boys have had, they have come to Kathy and me. There was nothing to say. We just had to hug them. And they were comforted. There was nothing. They didn't need a prophetic word. All they needed was for me to touch them. And they were at peace. You understand what I'm saying? So now they're in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And often after a particularly difficult time, I'll see my son and he throws his arms around me and just squeezes me as hard as he can. What is that? His spirit is bearing witness with me. And he knows I'm the dad. The reality of Christ in me gives me an absolute reality check that I am his and he is mine. I don't have to claim it by faith. He isn't my, uh, we aren't one by faith. We are one by experience. See, faith is what brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Hope is what brought them through the wilderness. But it was love that drew them into the promised land. 
you understand what I'm saying? I don't live by faith. I live by love. I live by understanding who he is in me. I, under, I live by what he has done in me, what he calls me to, that sense of oneness, that sense of spirit melding into spirit. See, this is the place of abiding peace. This is the place of hope. This is where the king sits on his throne in your heart. In the temple, in Solomon's temple, do you remember what the uh, throne is called? The mercy seat. His throne in the temple is called the mercy seat. But that is just a type of the fact that we are the throne of God. And because we are the throne of God, he sits there. What does he like to sit on? He likes to rest in mercy. That's what he called his throne. If you, are a if you are a person of mercy, then your heart is a place where he's pleased to rest. He calls his very seat mercy. You know what? I lost track of time. Does anybody know what time I started? It's like five minutes ago, right? Okay, one more thing. Do you know what it was that drove Jesus to minister to the masses? A very brief study of the Gospels show you. I've got seven references here. He felt compassion. He was moved with compassion. He felt compassion. Because he felt compassion, he is compassionate and loving. He was always moved by something greater than the miracle. The greatest miracles occur out of compassion. We are motivated, moved by compassion. I'm not waiting to hear a word from God that says, go pray for that person. If I have to wait for a word of God, the kingdom is not established in me. I, have, I do not carry the emotions of the king. But whenever I'm moved with compassion, I see somebody hurt or broken, and I run over to them and pick them up and hug them and pray for them. That is the king. That is the, an attribute of the king that causes me to move so that his supernatural power can flow. The most, the most effective way to live a supernatural lifestyle is to surrender so that all the attributes of the king, what are the attributes of the king? Other translations call it the fruit of the spirit. But I like to call them the attributes of the king because it makes you have to think. The at, what, what are the attributes of, one attribute of the king is his love. The another attribute is joy. Another one is peace. Another one is patience. Another one, kindness. And on and on and on. Those are the attributes of the king that should ooze from us. They are, they are our fragrance. And then out of that, whatever I see the Father doing, I am motivated by the very attributes, the very personality of the king to change the world around me. Yes, we're all called to change the world.
but not all of us are called to go to another country. But whatever your world is, that's what you change. That's what you affect. If every believer would just take responsibility for their world, how many of you know the world would change? Amen? Amen. Pastor. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.